0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 14. This week we have Ben Wiggins on. He hosted more podcasts than I have episodes. He's a D1 athlete, lived all over the world, been a writer, producer for TV shows, sold his scripts for movies, you name it. He's a very interesting guy. I don't want to delay this any further because I want to get right down into it. I had to cut it a little short because I had to go pick up kids and the recorder messed up on me, but it's a really good conversation. And you will definitely learn that kindness can take you places. So please, enjoy Ben Wiggins. All right, finally. <laughs> it's going now. All right. All right. I guess we're going to introduce him, but I'm going to give him a soft introduction right now on the podcast. But um, I should be nervous because Ben has hosted, I don't know how many podcasts. He's just telling me about another one right now before we got started in the <laughs> recorder froze. But... Um, He's hosted a bunch of podcasts, D1 athlete, um, writer for TV shows, movies, I guess, all sorts of different things, so I'm going to let him further explain a little bit of his background before we get into it, so why don't you introduce yourself? Uh,
1: Hello, my name is Ben Wiggins, Um, I do CrossFit with uh, AJ and... um, I'm I'm from here in the College Station area originally. I grew up here. My dad's a professor at the university, and I went to I guess I went to college down at Rice. I played football and ran track there. I ran track with Team USA for a year, um, and came back here. Was a, a graduate assistant with the football team under Coach Fran. The uh, the highlight of Texas A&M football history. <laughs> <laughs> um then I moved out to LA and I was a I was a uh independent film producer and television writer for several years moved back here about three years ago and started a business degree finished my MBA in May and I co-manage a small financial fund and am developing a graphic novel with my television writing partner uh so I've been fortunate to live a lot of places and do a lot of things I spent a little time in Atlanta a little time in Toronto summers in uh, a couple of summers in Europe when I was a kid I've really enjoyed getting to see some of the world and uh, but it's happy to be back I'm but I'm happy to be back here close to family and close to home now jeez that's <laughs>
0: that's more than what we like
1: okay so now we have to go through all the list of things that I just heard that's interesting did you know the whiteheads yeah. I know Whiteheads from here in College Station, Bill and Kathy Whitehead. Oh no, it'd be um, uh,
0: Michael and Jordan Whitehead. He played maybe. golf at Rice, and she played soccer. I don't
1: know if I. Oh, oh, they're they're younger than they're younger than I am. I think I think they're a few years. Behind. Oh yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Right. They've been to our gym a couple of times. Yes. maybe? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I know them. Yeah, but but I was before their time. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And so you went from Rice, ran track at Rice? Yeah, ran what, track at Rice. What'd would you, would you run? Uh, it was mostly hurdles, like sprints and hurdles. I did sprints, the relays and 400 hurdles was my best event. Um, and yeah, I did the 110 hurdles and like the 200 every now and then as well. And, on. and then from there you went to where again? Well, I, I ran with Team USA for a year. Um, and where did they go? Where does team USA go? Well, so team USA, I was not good enough to make the Olympic team, but I ran at with, for the American team at the international under 23 championships in 2004. Um, and we, we actually had uh, a guy who later that summer won gold with the Olympic, the American Olympic four x four team, Andrew Rock. Uh, we, he and I ran on a four x four together, and so we won the uh, we won the under twenty three championship in the four x four. I was second in the four hundred hurdles um, that year, and to an American, which was nice. Um, <laughs> and then I blew my knee out later that fall, and that was kind of that was effectively the end of my athletic career. Um, came back to College Station, and that, then I started as a graduate assistant under Coach Fran, Gotcha. That's awesome, man. Thanks. Thanks. Now, I
0: guess we'll fast forward to the really crazy part that was like super interesting to me, which I've talked to you about before, and that's the writing. Sure. The writing stuff. Being in a writer's room, TV shows, movies. I know you said you wrote a couple movies. You've been in the writing rooms.
1: Mm -hmm. Go over a little bit of the writing room. Okay. So, the... The, the writer's rooms that I have been in have all been for television. Sometimes you'll have a writer's room for a movie if it's big enough, um, but almost all TV shows have a writer's room of some kind. And oftentimes there will be a big room where everybody can kind of hang out and like try to do punchlines and stuff like that, and then they'll have individual offices where they can go write scenes and write like first drafts of stuff. Um, so the writer's room that I worked in the most was for a show called Devious Maids, and it was created. the, the creator and showrunner for *Devious Maids* was Mark Cherry, the same guy who created and show show ran *Desperate Housewives*. So that was his background at the point. At that point, he went immediately into *Devious Maids*, and um, I came on as a writer's assistant at first, and then um, and then they offered me and my writing partner an episode, and we were kind of off from there. So being in a writer's room is kind of I guess it happens probably the way you would sort of expect it to. Like you look at the story, like everything's visual. So it's up on it's up on the walls. They used to used to use like index card, like color-coded index cards that are like handwritten, and then they moved to printed index cards. And now I would imagine there are some writers' rooms that do everything digitally, but you need a lot of space in order to be able to see everything, because you break out like your whole season, um, across a wall, like a, a, you would use magnetic whiteboards back in the day and just tack or like magnet the cards up on the walls. Um, and then, and then you have like basically all the storylines of your season, um, right there to look at if you need to. And then you'll break out each individual episode kind of the same way. So if it's TV and you have act breaks, then each act will be a column. And each scene will have its own card. And everything that's important in the scene, you put on the card. And um, then you'll write the scenes in, like, Final Draft or whatever software you use based on what's on the cards. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, makes total sense. Yeah. But
0: so do the st- do the, like, main actors of the show come in and do they rehearse in front of you?
1: Or when you get a bit down, how's that work? So they they do rehearse in front of us, uh, but it doesn't happen right away. So you'll so we write the script, and then the script will go to usually there are three stages, or so that it'll go to the showrunner. The showrunner will look at the whole script, will look at every scene, and say, okay, this is good to go to the studio. The studio is the organization or entity that's going to shoot the show. Then, after the studio approves it, they'll usually send back notes and say, we like everything, but there's this thing on page 34. Can we change this line? Their legal team will look at it. And then, after that's all done, it goes to Network, which is the company that will run the show. Sometimes the studio and Network are the same company, but sometimes they're not. Like, uh, the um the CW i think does not have their own studio so they work with either Warner Brothers or CBS we did a show with the CW a pilot with the CW i should say called Cheerleader Death Squad and that was that, <laughs> was, awesome. that was a fun show um <laughs> uh, it's really too bad it did not go to series but uh, but but CBS was the studio CW was the network so sometimes same company sometimes not but it'll showrunner studio network and then once the network approves it then you, the, the episode will be locked, even though it's not really locked, and then eventually you'll go to a table read, which is one of the really fun parts of TV writing. All the actors get in the room, all the writers are in the room, the producers, the executives, everybody sits at this big, long table, and you basically read the episode, you read the dialogue, and then somebody like reads the action lines so you can kind of see what's happening in your head. And you just read the episode to see which lines work, which lines don't. And you'll hear phrases like, if it dies at table, which means if you read a punchline at the table read and nobody laughs, that means it died. And (laughs) that's when, like, even if it was a great line in the writer's room, oftentimes it'll get cut. And sometimes stuff will go less often. Sometimes stuff will go the other way. It wasn't that funny in the writer's room. You're just like, this is a holdover line and then the actor delivers it a different way at the table, and it gets a huge laugh, and you're like, oh, this is the best line ever. We're geniuses. <laughs> um, and really great acting can elevate mediocre writing. And by the same token, not as good acting can obviously kill really good writing. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Deliveries everything with it. And, and Mark, the executive producer that I worked with, he would always give credit to his talent, on his actor's um, the the ladies especially on Desperate Housewives, um, it was just a really incredible cast that they were able to put together, and it really elevated what he would what he would affectionately refer to as his crappy writing. <laughs> he, said, he said they made him look really good. Well, that show ran for a long time. Didn't yeah, it? <laughs> he, yes, Mark is a really talented writer, and he has a very unique tone. But um, but without without the right delivery, you know, you're you can be up the creek anyway.
0: How did you get involved in it?
1: So actually, I got into writing at first. I got into writing movies first because I wanted to produce. I wanted to be a producer, and but I wanted to have some creative, some creative say in the project. And as a producer, they really will only listen to you if you can either write or direct. And I'm not a director. Uh, all the respect in the world for directors, but that's not me. Um, so I wanted. So I decided I would learn how to be a writer, and I. Tried my hand at writing scripts, and I was terrible at it at first. I wrote so many bad scripts. Uh, there, I probably wrote a dozen at least before I turned out anything that was even worth reading. Um, then, uh, And then the way that I got into TV, I never really anticipated working in television because I didn't know anybody in TV when I moved to L.A. I didn't really know anybody, period. But I met a couple of line producers who introduced me to... Um, some people who worked in movies. And I expected that that would just always be the direction my career would go. And then I met Mark at a birthday party in 2011 that I almost didn't go to. And he was kind of sitting by himself on the couch and uh, he seen, he looked like he was sad. And I, looking back later, I realized he was just writing a scene in his head. But when he would do that, he would like his chin would kind of come down and he would be lost in thought but he looks—he would look like he like, was just upset about something. And I was like, what? why is nobody talking to this guy? He seems like he's so upset. And so I went over and talked to him. And little did I know, he was probably annoyed when I went over and talked to him because he was trying to come up with a punchline for Desperate Housewives in his head at the time. Uh, but I went over and I said hello and you know introduced myself. And I didn't know who he was. Um so we became friends, I think in part because I had no idea who he was. I just thought he was a cool You're guy. Trying to cheer him up. Yeah, exactly. Like, so we started like a conversation and I was I was in a successful part of my movie career at that point, relatively speaking. I hadn't created anything like Desperate Housewives, but I had sold a couple of scripts and was feeling pretty good about myself and so and we talked about my success and he mentioned that he wrote for Desperate Housewives. He didn't say he created Desperate Housewives. <laughs> but So I was like, oh, congratulations. That's a great show. What a great opportunity for you. <laughs> Which sounds really silly in my head now because he spent three years coming up with it. Um, but uh, but that's how I got into TV is he and I became friends. And it's just like they always say, it's not what you know. Um, it's, it's who you know. know. And, and yeah. Mark thought that... I was honored that he thought that I was a smart guy and that I would have intelligent things to say in the writer's room. And I hope that I proved him right. Um, if he ever listens to this show, he'll laugh at me, and then he'll call me and tell me uh, how wrong I am. <laughs> He's, he was Look, a, he, If he ever listens to the show, then... I will be honored. <laughs> so, hello, Mark. Um, he was he was at my wedding, and he came over, and uh, he said, like, I would gotten a, like, a new haircut for the wedding, and he walked over to our bridegroom table at the reception, and he said, you guys look lovely out there. And, Ben, I see that you made every effort to make sure that Maddie is always the more attractive one. So, good <laughs> job by you.
0: <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> he's, awesome. he's a
1: hoot. He likes making fun of me.
0: Well, two things about that story are pretty interesting and awesome and that is one you said you were terrible at writing first but did you enjoy it the whole time you were writing even when it was bad or is is it
1: something that you were just determined that you wanted to do as far as be a writer it was kind of a combination of both like there were parts of it that were fun even when I wasn't good at it but also like so I I'm a guy who enjoys like just the act of doing stuff and learning stuff. I have a lot of trouble sitting still. I'm a really bad classroom learner, which I was reminded of while I was doing my MBA program. Um <laughs> and I I just I I like learning new things and doing new things and I just have a lot of trouble relaxing sometimes and and so I was like this is a mountain to climb. Like I want to I want to go climb this mountain. I want to learn how to do this thing and and it was especially important because I had a couple of friends here in Texas, not like connected L.A. guys, but uh, guys who are near and dear friends to me who were working in the business in Houston. And um, they had a script that had kind of stalled out, and I became determined that I was going to write something so that they could direct it. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted to wanted to write. I was going to produce but in order to do that, as I mentioned earlier, like we, we had yeah. to have a script. And so I had to learn how to write. And so it was fulfilling even when it wasn't fun. Yeah, I um, get you.
0: You had a goal in mind. like The end goal was to be the producer part. Yeah. So it was fun because I was getting you to your... It wasn't always fun, but... It's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel was what it was like that little bit carrot, right? You're chasing that
1: it's kind of like it would be I think a lot of it would be like setting a goal to You know to place top 50 in your region or something like that or yeah. to top 100 in your region Like there are definitely going to be moments where it's not fun. Like, you know It's <laughs> quite a few you, moments. Yeah, <laughs> and especially if you set like nutritional goals for yourself Like you have to go to bed at a certain time Whatever you whatever standards you set for yourself there are going to be times when you're not going to want to meet those standards. You're going to want yeah. to stay up watching a movie or, you know, have, you know, have a, you know, have an extra beer or whatever, and you can't do it. But in the end, generally speaking when you set a goal like that for yourself, you look back and you find the process of trying to meet that goal rewarding, whether you actually meet the goal or not. That's the t- that's the
0: most fun thing. It's whatever the whatever you find that the process is fun, that's what I find the most enjoyment out of right and when you're not painting it's like i don't want because eventually you became a writer mm-hmm. and okay now you've accomplished it right and what next yeah if your goal was to be a writer then it would be okay well i've done that now right time to move on but if you enjoy the process it's something you'll keep doing like it's something you really enjoy so that i think that that's a super important thing that's what i'm uh, talking with michael whitehead that's what he He loves the process of being a professional golfer. Yeah. Like the tedious stuff, the hitting four hours of putts a day and that sort of stuff. That's what he loves. Mm -hmm. And that's what it takes to be a professional. If it was just to be a professional golfer, well, he accomplished his goal. He can be done. Right. type of thing. Yeah. Life is a series of journeys,
1: not a series of destinations. But the next
0: thing I noticed, and I'll just – it's like a compliment to you really, is um, you kind of got your way onto that show through an act of kindness of just – there was no, oh, like, monetary look at it. You weren't doing the whole, like, you know, you hear about people going to those uh, L.A. parties or actors. And, that you know, they're trying to network. I'm going there to network. Yeah. People do it for business all the time, too. That's right. you got to go network. It's real stiff. You can tell when somebody's just trying to network. Yeah. But a genuine, someone coming from a place of uh, being genuine and just being nice. Like, you saw a guy that was sad. You had no idea. You didn't even know he created this show. Right. You are just like, Hey. I'm a successful writer. I sold a couple of movies. I'm pretty hot, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm pretty hot stuff. i this guy's sad. Let me see if I can cheer this guy up. Yeah. You know? And and so an act of kindness kind of led you to that
1: place of writing on a TV show. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. The really well and one of the really cool things about I, I consider myself very fortunate to have this kind of unique relationship with this guy who is extremely successful. And the coolest thing about it is I would like, I would want to hang out with him even if he were not successful. Like if he was just, you know, living in a, you know, little apartment in LA and trying to make it like everybody else is, he's funny and he's kind and he's fun to hang out with. And that I'm, I'm really lucky that I didn't know who he was when we met. Because then, yeah. like, I don't know if I would have handled things the same way. I would have been like, oh, am I allowed to be friends with this guy? Because <laughs> I yeah. don't want him to think that I'm, you know, just, like, trying to get something from him. Yeah. And even, even someone who had the pretty moderate level of success that I did, you know, like, strangers would find me on Facebook and ask for stuff, ask to audition for the show and things like that. That, that proverb is very much a thing. And so I can only imagine what it's like for him, for somebody like him who is, you know, 10 times as successful as I was, but, um, but it's, and, and you try to help as many people as you can, but there's only so much you can do in yeah. some situations. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I can't,
0: I can't even, I, I wouldn't be able to even get in his head. Like the, the amount of people that are not genuine, that are going, you know, for whatever reason their own selfish reasons or just trying to do that networking thing and move up the ladder yeah and you're like oh another one of these another one of these like i i I, that's the way i put myself in that position feeling i don't know how frustrated i would actually get with it or if i would be able to trust people yeah you know you'd have to really get to know somebody before you would be able to trust them again i would think or you can recognize when somebody's just like i literally have no idea who you are
1: right (laughs) and it's it's always even with people that you know well there's there's always kind of a balance to it like you're some people you are some people you're more successful than they are some people you're less successful than they are and you want to LA is such a funny city because you level yet and then you really want to pick your spots in terms for asking from asking for a leg up in terms of asking for a leg up from people who have made it a little bigger than you have. And sometimes that's a thing that goes by age, but not always. Um, you know, there are some very young people that are very successful uh in the film and television business. And fortunes also change very quickly. So when you have, you know, I, I lived with a couple of younger guys the last two years that I was there, and um and I was in a partly by virtue of being older. I was I was in a slightly more advanced position in my career than they were. And so those guys were really good about picking their spots in terms of asking me to read stuff or like come to a play. Like I went to one of Robbie's plays. Um, and so you really want to, you really want to be able to say yes to people. And what that means is that in terms of, you're just going to spend some extra time doing things like that. Yeah. And that's one of the commitments yeah. that you make when you get into that business. Yeah. No, to- totally. I mean, I, I can see that. Like, if
0: you know, even if we're friends, like we're sitting here doing a podcast or whatever, but uh, let's say, you know, we're both in the same industry and I ask you to come check out some of my, work. you know, you need that feedback. And the only way to actually go anywhere is to help people mm-hmm. and yeah, give right. them their feedback. And then they'll in turn, remember that and help you and so on and so forth well i mean most people will anyway
1: so well and and you don't you you try not to think of it in terms of like i do this so i can get something later and even in terms of like karma yeah you don't you're not doing you it's good karma but you have to be really careful what your motivation is yes Um, For sure. You just want to be doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You want to help people for helping people.
0: Kim and I had that same conversation the other day Mm -hmm. about, you know, you see somebody and they put they put forth all of these things like they're these kind people, really but then you can tell through their motivation, like what's posted on social media or or whatever it may be, like where that's actually coming from. Mm -hmm. The place you're like, oh, it seems good, but there's just something, something's off. I forgot the name of the theory. It's supposed to be something like they talked about plastic surgery or whatever. You can tell hmm. when somebody's had plastic surgery because it looks off to you because it's, everybody's face and everybody's body is, is made a certain way for a certain reason. Like mm-hmm. People have big noses for a certain reason to fit other parts, and it looks normal to other humans in their eyes. But when mm-hmm. they change it, it throws them off, and you're know, like, Something's off. Yeah. Even though everything looks fine visually, something's off, and I I apologize. I can't remember that theory because my brain is not working right. I guess, but it's really cool, and it's sort of the same sort of thing with that. So to skip ahead, I guess, and go into stuff, where all have you been in Europe, and what took you over there? So track?
1: uh, No, I I never went to Europe for track. Uh, I think my only international trip for track and field was the Team USA trip to Canada. Um but uh, my dad lectured overseas for a couple of summers when I was young. and then my now wife and I went to Spain last year. So I lived in I lived in Germany for two summers when I was real small and then Italy for a summer as well. and so and was very lucky. got to go to France and Slovenia and... Uh, in the UK, and then my dad grew up in Africa, so we didn't ever spend a summer in Whoa. Ethiopia, but we traveled <laughs> to Kenya and Ethiopia as well. Wow! Yeah, it was it was really I was very fortunate to get to see a lot of the world at such a young age. Um, was, I'm very grateful for that. Unbelievable learning me.
0: experience, I've yeah.
1: Made. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. and you you get to see how different things are in other parts of the world, and how much the same same they are. Yeah, you know the idea that we're all just people and we're at some level we all want many of the same things not all the same things but uh, do you know any of the languages uh, well I I speak Spanish um and I speak a little bit of French, and I can say, like, some funny stuff in Amharic, which is the language <laughs> of Ethiopia. I know how to say, I know how to say, go home, you dirty dogs, in, in Ethiopia, in, in Amharic. Um, what an awesome one to use in, like, a yeah, competition of some sort. Exactly.
0: <laughs> no idea. So, like, I got you.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I know anything. I, I know, like, just enough German to know I don't know any German. Um, I have a friend that I met in L.A. who speaks five languages, like, for real, Holy for real. Lord, she she that. holds, like, dual Swiss and hi marina. She holds dual Swiss and, and Brazilian uh, citizenships, and she speaks English, and then French, Spanish, and also a little bit of German from her. Whoa. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't have enough
0: space in my tiny brain to store all that information <laughs> at all. I think if you're That's learn, incredible.
1: I think if you're going to learn that many languages you have to get to it at a young age. Almost I would think so. Although my
0: dad taught himself Spanish mm-hmm. with an English Spanish dictionary selling food to a C-store that was Spanish speaking only. Well, oh. he sat down with it and he would go through words and now he's fluent in Spanish. Wow.
1: Ah, it's that? it's what a pretty great story.
0: It's pretty incredible and he did that at what I think the age of Forty-seven, fifty. It gives me hope, there. man. It gives yeah, me hope. But um, us yeah, old he's... dogs can learn new tricks. <laughs> yeah, he turned. He, he actually turned his whole life. Like he turned his whole life around. He went from from uh, being in the food service industry where we owned a food service. Yeah. To owning our own uh, like copy printing business, oh. uh, digital thing. To then deciding we went back. He went back in the food industry. Yeah. And then it was just like. I'm kind of done with this. I want to be an administrator of nursing homes. Went back to school and did that. Huh. So he uh, he's done. He just decided on the whim, I'm going to change it. So he went back to school and he changed it. And people say, that's why I kind of think it's a cop-out and excuse when people say, I'm too old, nobody's going to give me a job. I'm like, my dad changed com- completely changed careers yep. in the middle of his life. Like, yep. hey, I just want to do something different. I am going to go do it. So it was, it was a really valuable lesson for me
1: to learn. What inspired his transitions before that? You said he was in food and then cut the coffee business back to food. So it's kind of a crazy story. We had a very
0: successful food service business. Um, none of the family really got along. They turned the business over to him. So a little bit of jealousy there oh, and fighting cool. with the family or whatnot, which um, they were never really that close. He was, he was born... When my grandma... I think my grandma said... My grandma used to call him the guess what honey. Because <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> he was like... I think she was 42 or 43 okay. when she got pregnant with him. So yeah. it was a complete accident with him. But... um, And he played... He was the only one in the family athletic. Huh. Uh, I don't know. Him. He played... Uh, he went to tennis for uh, ACU. He was yeah. ranked in singles and doubles huh. in the nation. That's and uh, on a full ride there. Yeah. So... Um, and that was like his fourth best sport. He's a heck of a baseball player. <laughs> like, like if, he, if my grandma had not forced him to play that, he would have done that. But he went, uh, so after my grandparents died, he was getting a lot of pressure from them and it's just kind of burned out on the whole thing. And so he decided to sell it. Our attorney messed up on paperwork and we got nothing for it. Oh. In fact, he got like, there was a bunch of stuff that happened and, um, we tried and tried, tried for a long time, but. Uh, he messed up pretty bad. That attorney became a judge. And then it was like, oh, no big deal. You know? Sorry about your luck. Yeah. So, but I mean, like anything else that we do, it was kind of like one of those things like, I mean, we can't sit here and whine about it. And that was always his attitude. And we kind of followed that lead. Like, sure. can't whine about it. We got to keep moving. Right. We already had another business going. So he put a lot of energy into that Yeah. to make that work. But the two things, after we found that out, it kind of crushed the one business. Mm-hmm. Because things fell back on it like, uh, property taxes and stuff because there was such a bad mistake yeah. <laughs> on the attorney's side so um, that forced him back into the food service with some people you know acquaintances that we knew from other like Benny Keith food service we went back into that yeah. uh, both him and I did and then um, my mom was an RN uh, grandpa was a RN and so he kind of looked at it and was like I really like you know taking care of old people and making sure they do good i i don't necessarily have the knack for being a nurse right but i want to do something with it so he just like i think i'll go do that and then i can work with my wife but the funny yeah. part about that is is by the time he got his administrator's license my mom's a director of nurses at one in the valley he's got to go do an intern internship at port lavaca that's their the only time they've ever been apart now they've never <laughs> been apart before that They got to go. They're apart or whatever. Right. Uh, So, yeah, that's, and then they eventually ended up teaming up later on, like, probably two or three years into it. Uh, But, yeah, that's how he, now he works for the same company I do. That's great. (laughs) Up in, up in Weatherford and travels all over and he just, he's kind of one to, like, I think I like that. I'm going to go do it.
1: And he just
0: switches it. Like, he gets an interest, you know? That's great. Kind of like you, you can't sit still. He's the same way. Me too. Yeah. It's like, we start twitching and. Whatnot, but yeah, got to go do um, some, but yeah, so that's how that's how he did it. It's kind of crazy. That's awesome,
1: man. <laughs> I could go on and on about it. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, a, that's a great story. I want to hear more about it sometime. Yeah,
0: oh, for sure, for sure. We can definitely get into it. We, we can do another podcast just totally on that sure. or just have a conversation. It's cool, of course. But um, I guess it's getting close to time where I'm gonna have to go pick up the kids. We got to cut this one short a little bit, everybody, because I had. Time restraints due to this recording system shutting down on us, but um, I guess before we before we shut it down or whatever, um, I guess tell us about the the comic book thing that you told me about. You seem oh. so passionate about this yeah. that that's why I asked you if it's okay to talk about it. Because of course,
1: you when you talked to me, I was like, man, I'm fired up about this comic book. I don't even do comic books. Yeah, so so my writing partner and I, his name's Christian Spicer. Um, he and I. Uh, came up with this idea several years ago. It was following... I'd always wanted to do something about conflict between heaven and hell, angels and demons, like that sort of thing. And I had an idea for how to do that. And since then, there have been a couple of shows that have also used this idea. But the idea was... In order to show a conflict that's really compelling, you can't know who's going to win up front. And if you, if you take for granted that there is a, like a God of some kind in your story that's more powerful than everybody else put together, then whoever's side God is on is always going to win. So in order to make the story compelling, you have to get rid of God. Um, and so the idea behind the story is the angels have to figure out what to do next after God unexpectedly disappears. And the hero of the story, or the heroine of the story, is a woman who is uh, tapped with a. It, she doesn't die, but she is she's taken directly from Earth and becomes an angel. And she's trying to figure out why. She doesn't really understand what her purpose is, and it becomes clear that there's something special about her. Kind of a sort of a, like a matrix type of thing. Like you're you're the one, and we don't know what that means, but we know we have to teach you to do all of this stuff. And so, uh, and then the story just kind of goes from there. And I won't spoil the uh,
0: no no it definitely spoil does spoil. Ending, don't but, do that. Uh,
1: but there's a lot of a lot of good story to be told there, and hopefully we'll tell it well. Where can they find it when it gets done? Uh, so we haven't decided what publisher we're going to work with yet. Um, there We're looking at a lot of options. We're still talking with illustrators and so forth. The this, this story for the first few issues is written, but that's what we have so far. We've, nothing has been drawn yet, uh, and we're still kind of in the negotiating phase for all that. I would expect it would be... Several months, at least, before anything would be in a venue where people could read it. But we're really happy about it. It's called Paradise, and uh, and we're, we're excited to see how it goes. Um, All right. The deal is
0: it'll be promoted on the podcast. <laughs> For anybody who wants to listen, even if it gets 10 listeners, you have 10 more people to get to hear I appreciate <laughs> that. It's definitely, we, we always appreciate the help. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, last question before we shut down the podcast is... If you had to give advice on traveling to Europe since you've lived in the different places and everything like that, let everybody know and me because I'm, we're looking to go there. So I kind of want to know where you would suggest visiting. And it doesn't have to be like the typical touristy places. Like where would you
1: suggest people go for a, like a really interesting time? Um, so... Are we talking, like, broadly in terms of countries or, like, areas within countries? It can or... be areas within countries. Like, someplace that you would suggest
0: people go see, uh, check out.
1: Sure. You know, anywhere like that. Any That can include even Canada for all – you know, whatever whatever you, sure. your suggestions are. So, I would say – so, we went to Spain last summer. We went to Barcelona and Madrid. And I've always wanted to go to Barcelona. But, actually, we – the city that blew me away was Madrid. Madrid. Um, and so, if you if you happen to be going to Spain, I would definitely go see Madrid. Uh, I love the German countryside when I was a kid, and my best memory of France is, uh, is the Louvre uh, in, in Paris. But um, and then I went, I was I went to uh, the UK and Ireland with a friend. Ooh, last, Ireland's on our list guess, two summers ago, and so. Uh, and I, if I had it to do over again, I've heard that London is a city where you just never run out of stuff to do. That wasn't my experience. Uh, we, we, there was a lot of cool stuff to see in London, but if I had it to do again, I would spend a little bit less time in London and a little more time in Ireland. Really? Um, I mean, that's yeah, good to hear. I, I, would, I would have wanted to get out of the Irish countryside. So Dublin was a great city. A lot of stuff to see around Dublin. And, and I enjoyed London, too, but Ireland was kind of more my place so
0: right on yeah. that's good to hear because that's where our five-year thing is like we yeah. want in five years we want to make it to ireland that's great man so. yeah yeah you'll have it you'll have a good time there it's ireland is really something special awesome so well i enjoyed it Ben. yeah me too. thanks man
1: yeah thanks for having me on
0: enjoyed it i hope everybody else did too see ya